Thank you to Dave for the welcome. It's lovely to be with you here in Carrickfergus Baptist Church this morning. And if you have your Bibles with you, we're turning to the Old Testament, turning to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel and chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. been great since I finished in, in Dungannon that I've still been able to go around and, and speak in, in other churches, uh, have opportunity to share God's word and, and hopefully to encourage folk there. One of the changes obviously has been over this period of, of restrictions with COVID, people wearing masks and, and not being able to see people as freely. Uh, I remember going home one Sunday to, to my wife and she said, well, well, how did you find it? Preaching to folk with masks on, maybe not being able to, to see your face, their faces. I said, that, it, it's okay because, you know, with the masks on, I can just uh, imagine them saying amen and agreeing with me uh, behind their masks. And she looked at me and said, you've always had an overactive imagination. But nonetheless, we'll, we'll persist and I'll trust that we'll be blessed as we hear God's word together and consider these verses from 2 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. Let's hear God's word together. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar and the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies." Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, 
Nathan spoke to David. Well, it happened in our house last weekend. Uh, It has happened in some of your houses as well, and and probably in many of them. I I never quite know when I'm going to be asked to bring the Christmas decorations down from the roof space, but it was last weekend. Still November. Seemed to me a bit early to be doing that, but men, I guess, particularly, you'll understand it's easier just to go along with it in matters like that. And so box after box got brought down from the roof space, decorations got got unpacked, along with the new decorations that I knew nothing about, uh, that had also been bought, even when we don't have room to put up all the decorations that were in the boxes. But I have to say that once my wife gets the house decorated, it looks really really well. I'm sure that's the same for your house also. Everything getting set up to make things look more festive so that you and indeed all who come to your house over the Christmas period can enjoy all that's been prepared and everything that's been set up. And this morning as we come to Second Samuel chapter 7, I want us to think about preparation of a house as well that that also points us to Christmas. God's plan of preparing a house for Christmas from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Two main things I want to hang our thoughts on this morning, and the first of those can be summarized with the word plans, plans. In verses 1 to 3, we get some details of of David's conversation with the prophet Nathan. We know a little bit about David's life, don't we? However, the course of that, he faced so many, many challenges. He was on the run from from King Saul, his life often under threat. Likewise, from the, the surrounding nations, he faced many, many challenges relating to security. But now according to to verse 1, God has given King David and along with the king, the people of Israel, peace, rest from their enemies around. And it's during this time of peace that that David starts to think about plans. What could he do? I I don't know. Maybe David was someone who who needed a project to to keep himself busy. And so David speaks to Nathan there in verse 2. He, he shares his thoughts as to what his plans are. He says, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David lives in a, a beautiful and a secure dwelling. But the ark of God, which symbolized God's presence, is in a tent. Maybe David felt a little bit guilty. There he's living in such opulence while the ark of God is based in a flimsy and portable dwelling. And so it seems that that David's plan was to build a more permanent structure for the ark of the Lord. And as Nathan uh, hears this plan of David's, it it seems to resonate with him. And so he says in verse 3, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Verse 4 begins with almost like putting the brakes on to this plan, because it begins with the word, but God speaks there. God is going to reveal his plans. God speaks to the prophet Nathan just that night after he's been with David and, and gives him a message that he's to speak to God's servant, David. 
That message very much will relate to to David's plans. Verse 5 begins, thus says the Lord. This message is to get David's attention. These aren't words that have been imagined by Nathan, but they come directly from God. So it's important that when God speaks that David listens. God says, would you build me a house to dwell in? Then he goes on to remind David of of the past, how he hasn't lived in a a solid house like David is planning to build. And all the time that he's been with the, the children of Israel, his plan for them and leading them out of Egypt through the wilderness. The ark of, of the Lord, it has stayed in a tent. Even in verse 7, we read that, that God challenges David saying, I never asked any of Israel's leaders in the past to build a house of, of cedar for me like this. You see, God's question to David, the answer that will come back is, is no, David, you're not the one to build this structure for me. But, but down in verse 13, as God will, will talk to David about his, his descendants, about his offspring. We'll think about that in a little bit more detail in a, a few moments. But, but God says, no, David, your son will build a house for my name. The Ark of the Lord was often referred to as, as the name of the Lord. And, and we know, don't we, as we read in First Kings and, and First Chronicles, that David's son Solomon would build that temple. But even when he completed that temple, we read in 1 Kings chapter 8 and 27, Solomon's so excited about the temple, but he says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. You see, God can't be constrained by a building. Praise him for that, that he's not limited to one place at one time, but he is a God who is everywhere present and he's with his people. He goes with them wherever they go. And what an encouragement that is for us today to remember whatever we face, that he goes with us. But as we think about plans, plans here, David's plans and and God's plans, all of us make plans as well, don't we? And probably more than ever over the last 20 months or so, we've, we've had many of those plans changed or even cancelled. And as we think about, about these verses and about the idea of, of plans, it, it is good and it is wise to plan. But for the Christian, it's so important when we plan that we seek God's ways. To see that if our plans fit in with what he desires for us and for us to do. You see, very often all of us want to know the specifics of what it means in terms of of projects and and what we're going to do. And yes, God does reveal to us how we should respond in those situations. But I think more and more, even in our our everyday lives, we should make it our goal to, to hear What David does here, that thus says the Lord, recognizing that God is a God who speaks, not just in the the big significant things we might speak of, but into our everyday lives. We do that by taking time to, to hear his word, to listen to him 
as we read the Bible, whether that be at home or wherever, with the privilege of coming together with our brothers and sisters as church to hear God speak to us. You see, the natural thing for me, and I think we're probably all the same, is, is to try and reason how we should live out our lives, how we should behave whenever it comes to, to our family, to school, to our workplace, how we should respond and, and behave in a, a particular relationship, even when it comes to how we should relate to, to one another in church. But our plans and ideas relating to these need to be submitted to what God says in his word. To be like David, to recognize, you see, in verses 1 to 3, David's identified as, as the king. The most influential man, the most powerful man in the land. But before God, look at verse 5, he's God's servant. That's the attitude we need to have, to hum be humble enough to listen to God's word, to listen to him speak into those different situations that we, we find ourselves in every day, that we would live for his honor and glory, that we would be like the boy Samuel, you remember in the temple, encouraged by Eli to, when he heard God speaking to say, speak Lord, for your servant is listening. Might that be our desire when it comes to making plans that we wouldn't go off on our own but that we would seek God's face and God's leading, not just in the big things, but in the regular, everyday activities as well. As the passage continues, God's going to reveal more of, of these wonderful plans to David. But these plans will come in the way of promises. Promises. And as we consider here what, what God is going to say to David, let's not miss what God reveals of himself as well. Verse 8 again begins as verse 4 did. Listen, thus says the Lord. Pay attention, David. God's going to speak about the future, but before he does, he wants to get David's attention to speak about what has gone on in the past in David's life. To, say, to show him how God's hand has been upon him. He takes him back to, to Bethlehem when he looked after sheep for his father, Jesse. David mightn't have had a very important role. He mightn't have looked that impressive compared even to his brothers. And again, we think about the prophet Samuel sent by God to, to Jesse's house to anoint his son to be the, the next king. Do you remember how impressed Samuel was by the, the older brothers while David was left out in the field? But God knew all about David. God made it clear that he was choosing David for the, the specific role of, of ruling and leading his people Israel. And then in verse 9, uh, God says, And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. David, David could have sung that line from the hymn, through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. He's faced threats to his life. He's been living rough. He's had little human support and company. But yet in spite of that, God says, I was with you. And the contrast so telling there, isn't it? He says, and I have been with you. 
God has been sovereign. God has been in control. God has been ruling and leading in the midst of all that's been going on in David's life. Just as he had been with the people traveling from Egypt to the promised land, so too he had traveled with David, never leaving him, never forsaking him. And it's so helpful to be reminded of God's faithfulness in the past. It was important for David as God would speak of things to come in the future, but it's so important for us as well, day by day, to remember how God has been faithful to us. Recognizing that we could trust him in the past and as a God who never changes, that means we can trust him in the future day by day and continue to trust and believe his promises, whatever the future might bring. And it's that forward focus that the second half of verse 9 points David towards. God says, I'm going to make your name great, David, there in verse 9. I'm going to establish the people with a land that's stable and satisfying and secure in verse 10. And then in verse 11, there's this promise that the king will have rest from his enemies. I don't know as you think about those promises, does your mind go back to promises that God had made centuries before? The promise that he'd made to Abraham that, that his name would be great. The promise that the people would be given a land that God would plant them in and give them it to dwell in. Likewise, promises of rest from the enemies of God. And so as, as God speaks here to David, he's saying, my plans haven't changed. My promises haven't changed. What was promised to Abraham, what was promised to the, the children of Israel will be progressed further through King David. A number of commentators point to, to nations at, at the time when David was alive, how often leaders of those nations would have built structures like temples for their, their pagan gods. They believed that by doing that, they were gaining favor with their gods that would have granted them success for the way forward. Now, there's no suggestion here that that's what David was planning on when, in building a, a house for the ark and seeking to earn God's blessing. But what God was showing here, that, that he was going to bless David without David earning God's favor. That's what we call grace. That's how the God of the Bible differ from all the others who claim to be God's. Because he freely grants us undeserved favor. That favor towards his people. That includes us today if we are his. But notice also that what God is, is promising David here, it goes beyond his lifetime. Look at verse 11. He says, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. That might seem a strange thing for us to hear because we know David has got a house of cedar. He's got a nice house, a beautiful house. But notice that God isn't saying, I'm going to build you a house. It's David who wants to build a house. But God says, I'm going to make you a house. Bit of a play on words here. 
because certainly when we, we think about house, it can speak of a, a physical structure. But what God is speaking of to David here is a, is a, a household, a family line, a dynasty, we might say. That's emphasized in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come for your, from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And as we said, that line will include Solomon. David will die. Solomon will take his place as king. Solomon will die. His son will take his place as king. And so that pattern will continue. The seed of David is what God is speaking of here. And God promises that the kingdom, that this family line will be established and rule forever. It's something that will be unshakable. God, as we've said in, in verse 13, mentions Solomon building uh, this house. But then God's focus again returns to the house that he's going to make for David. He says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's quite a promise. When we make promises, so often we break them. Certainly that's true for me. And we can even come up with, with good reasons and excuses for what happened and what events took place that meant we couldn't keep our promises. But listen here to what God says. He says, nothing, nothing is going to stop this promise. And that's true for all of God's promises. Notice here that God says nothing's going to stop this promise, not even death. Verses 12 and 13, he says, David, you're going to die. But this promise is going to be fulfilled through your seed. Notice also that he says sin won't stop this promise. Verses 14 and 15, when he commits iniquity, says God, God knows the fallenness of mankind. God will discipline David's descendants because of their sin, but his committed love will remain upon this line. Unlike King Saul's family, which would have come to an end, David's house will continue. That's a good thing. A wonderful promise because we know in, in David's line there was much sin, even from David himself. And God would discipline that family. Even shockingly, God would send, as he says here in this promise to David, he would send enemy nations to take their land and, and even take the people into exile. But still, God says, in spite of sin, my promises won't be thwarted. My promises won't be broken. And then thirdly, in verse 16, God says, time. Time's not going to wear out these promises either. This throne, this kingdom will last forever. And yet it must have seen for generation after generation that there was no sign of this happening because as kings rose up and they were taken down again, it seemed that this house that God had promised to make, it was weak, it was failing. But the wonderful truth is that God was still at work. 
The Old Testament would continue many prophets, many messengers of God delivering promises that this seed that was promised to Abraham through his offspring Israel that would come through the line of, of King David. But then God's word falls silent. For God's words no more than pie in the sky. Thankfully, God's word doesn't end with the Old Testament, but when we turn to the New Testament, and that chapter actually that, that Dave began with this morning, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew begins chapter 1 with a, a family tree. If we were writing a book, I don't think we would start with, with that at all, would we? Looking at ancestry. But Matthew begins there very deliberately, and he says in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus Christ, Christ meaning Messiah, God's anointed king. And Matthew will go on through those opening verses to recount how those two characters, David and, and Abraham, and, and their seed would bring the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Then another passage that we'll think about, no doubt, many times over this Christmas period. Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, giving her news that she would give birth to a son. And in verse 31, Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Even King David, for all his fame and for all his good leadership, he wasn't a perfect king. And that's been true throughout history. Even up to, to our day as well, we get so frustrated, don't we, with those who are in, in leadership at times, whether locally, nationally, or on the world stage, because of how they rule, the decisions they make, the way they behave. But the wonderful news for the Christian is that Jesus is the perfect king. He's the one who truly cares for us all. In fact, he's the one who loves you perfectly. He loves you so much that he came into this world not to show his power and grandeur in a palace, but to be born humbly and indeed to live a humble life to identify with you and me. A life with many challenges, a life with much pain, a life that would ultimately take him to the cross where this promised king would be nailed and left to die. Again, it seemed like God's promise had failed. But this was God's plan. Jesus was the one king who didn't deserve to be disciplined for sin. But yet on the cross, my sin, your sin, 
was placed upon him and the full force of God's judgment that we deserved fell on him. But just again, as was promised, Jesus rose. He had to because he's the forever king. And through his perfect life, death, and resurrection, the way into his kingdom was open for all who would put their faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins. And as we've been singing this morning, the Bible makes another promise that he's coming back again. And on that day, the kingdoms of this world will recognize Jesus as the one true king. But on that day, those who aren't part of his kingdom will be rejected and face God's judgment. And so as we start to wrap things up this morning, and as you think maybe about getting your house prepared for Christmas, do that, do it well, enjoy it. But in the midst of all those preparations as we head to Christmas, let's not forget the house that God prepared. Let's not forget how that found its fulfillment in the coming of Jesus and how that impacts you and me. And maybe to help us think about that today and in the week ahead, let me ask you some questions as a close uh, to think about this. The first and most important question, let me ask you, do you know Jesus as your king? Have you trusted him as your savior? Recognizing he's the one who loves you like no other, recognizing you don't have to earn his favor, but in grace, he offers you salvation, which you don't deserve, which I don't deserve. He's the king who came to save, but he's the king who will return to judge. And how you respond to him in this life will determine whether you meet him as your king and savior or as your judge when he returns. Secondly, are you serious about hearing God speak? Is that thus says the Lord something that gets your attention? Will you submit to God's good rule? Recognizing what a privilege it is to be his servant, that, that he, he does speak to us. And will you allow his word to, to guide you day by day, to, to help you to live and make decisions that are right and honoring to him? Thirdly, will you take time to think about God's faithfulness? His faithfulness throughout history to, in those promises to, to Abraham and to David. Recognizing and remembering that even when things seemed hopeless and out of control, there was no sign of anything good happening, still God was at work. And so whatever's going on in your life today, whatever you face as we approach Christmas, will you be encouraged to trust God's promises, even when life seems to suggest the opposite? Will you and I be those who seek to walk by faith? and not by sight. And then fourthly, and finally, how will you respond to God's plan that we've seen God make this house that he's promised to make fulfilled at the coming of Jesus? 
We haven't had time this morning to read all of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Can I encourage you, maybe this afternoon uh, or during the course of this week, to read the second half of, of 2 Samuel chapter 7? Because there David responds to these plans and promises of God by praying and praising God for who he is, for what he's done and what he's going to do. Why not use those words to encourage you to pray and to praise God? To praise God that Jesus is our forever King. That nothing can get in the way of that. And through his humbling himself and becoming obedient unto death on the cross, we become part of the household of faith. He doesn't dwell in a building. But by his spirit, he dwells with us. What a comfort. What an assurance to be a citizen of heaven and the hope we have in him. And we're going to take time now to to respond. I trust to praise God from our hearts that, that we know Jesus as our good king and our savior. We'll do that as we come to the table in a moment or two to take communion together.